just see what the Lord has for us, and we'll jump in there. Praise God. I want to welcome you to River Church tonight in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Praise God. We're back, and it's good to be back. I want to give a shout-out to the Halls in Fort Payne, and thank you all. We love you. All of us love you. We miss you, and we're so glad that we've got you. So I just prophesy to you blessings and increase and an ease, an easing of, of daily business. A, a, things are going to work out before you ever get to them. It's going to be easy, and it's going to be uh, expeditious. It's going to happen. Amen. So we're ministering about a new subject that I have just been so excited about. I told a dear friend of mine uh, this week that studying this subject of generosity has changed my life because I waded into it knowing not much. So I had to look up everything. I didn't have any, uh, any guidance on that. And what I found changed my heart. Now, I've always been a, a, a generous person by whatever standard, willing, but uh, I'm telling you, I am motivated now to be generous, and I hope you are too. And we're declaring that River Church is a generous church. We're just going to say it on broadcast, that we, the Lord can send us needs that nobody else will touch, and we'll take care of them, however that goes in the future. Uh, I've known three men, of three men in my life. One of them was uh, R.G. Letourneau. One of them was J.C. Penney. And one of them was uh, Buddy Harrison, Brother Hagen's son-in-law, that all three of them purport, now, of course, I wouldn't know, that they, they didn't just tithe 10%, they lived on 10%. And I was in a meeting with uh, Buddy Harrison one time in Hobbs, New Mexico, and he told that story, that he lived on 10%. And he said, let me tell you, if you want to live like I'm living, you've got to have a big cash flow to live on 10%. Yeah. In other words, you have to have a million to live on 100,000. And so we need to take the limits off, don't we, of like, what could God do? Well, we all think it's somebody else. Well, somebody else is going to do that, or they had special circumstances. If you read R. G. Letourneau's story, uh, it was nothing special about it. He was just a regular, ordinary, nobody, I don't know J.C. Penney, except to know that he had nothing before he started. So you, it's one thing to talk about rich people that got an inheritance. It's another people that pulled themselves up and believed God. And all these three believed God, and they lived on 10%. Not because God was requiring it, but they just were very generous with everything that they had. Um, I've come to some conclusions, and I always start out with them. One thing that everyone should risk, R-I-S-K, is to be generous. We should risk it from the heart to be generous. It is a risk. Otherwise, we would all just uh, write checks out. We get 1,000. We just send out our tithe and then send out the 900. But there's risk to being generous. And then I came up with this second, what I think is profound statement the Lord dropped in my heart. And that's this. If you analyze people, if you just look out there at people, certainly this is how I feel. People prefer to be with any one that is generous versus almost all Christians. People prefer to be with anyone that is generous, prefer to be with, enjoy their company, follow them, versus almost all Christians, which tells you that most Christians are not generous. 
And if you go to a wait staff in a restaurant, they'll tell you stereotypically who is not generous with the tip. They'll, and it surprises you. Uh, many ministers, practically stiff, stay at a table for four or five hours and then put down $5 for, you know, and had a table full of people. And uh, they know who's most generous between men and women. Men are always more generous tipping at a table. And there's a lot of cultural things about that. But my point is, you and I would rather be with a generous person than almost any Christian. And that's a stereotype, but it's certainly true in my life. There's very few Christians I want to be with because I'm having to kind of put a guard around me from their, their, their failure and their poverty and their, you know, all the things that they're talking and being and how they're barely making it. And you get with generous people that don't even know God or know him uh, moderately. And they're just talking about, man, let's do something. Let's get going. Let's, let's wind up and, and head out. Amen. I looked up the word jitterous because uh, I, I wanted to minister tonight. I, I thought I was through as usual, but I was not. And the word generous, the dictionary says, is an old French word uh, derived from the Latin. I don't know what the word was, but it means three things. It means noble. Generous means noble. So we should be generous. It means magnanimous. A generous man, a generous woman is magnanimous. So that tells me that it's someone that stands apart, that it's a minority, it's few. They, uh, they are, they are uh, you can spot them, generous. And the last thing, <laughs> this is kind of interesting, is generous means not mean, not mean. Do you know any people that are not generous? <laughs> yeah, because they're mean. Generous people are not mean. Yay. So I'm, I'm going to straighten up. How about you? <laughs> um, the dictionary said generous means willing to give more of something, such as money or time, more than necessary or expected. Generous means willing. I'm willing to give more of my money or my time or other things than is necessary so that means over the top, or is expected. Doesn't that sound like exceeding abundantly above what you could ask or imagine? Let's turn in, in the word to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I want to appreciate uh, Dr. Smith and the sound booth tonight, because in this meeting, I'm assuming I have all of my head. You may have noticed a couple of them ago before, I just had my eyes sticking out under some, some banner thing across there. I, I got through it and I didn't change it, but thank you, Dr. Smith. We appreciate you, as always. Chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians. We've been living out of chapter 8 and 9, and we're going to go back uh, to some of these things later. But in chapter 9, verse 7, and we looked at this several times Sunday, Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. So let him give. Every man as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. You're supposed to purpose and you're supposed to give. Giving is not an option. It just means the amount is an option. But giving is, whether you give or not, is not an option. Everybody does. But he said you need to purpose with your heart. So that eliminates that old uh, casual, just throw something in the bucket or 
or tip God. So many people just tip God. Let every man, according as he is purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth the cheerful giver. And we said Sunday that, that, that uh, grudging and necessity should never be in the church. We just don't have any needs that cause grudging or necessity. We ought to get excited about giving because of the benefits. Well, the church doesn't know the benefits. The amplified version, I knew you'd want to know, so I wrote it down. Let each one give as he has made up his own mind and purposed in his heart, not reluctantly or sorrowfully or under compulsion. Could we say amen there? Our people say, well, my giving's personal. Well, it, it, it should be personal in a sense, but you, you can make a testimony out of it. For God loves, here it is, he takes pleasure in, prizes above other things, and is unwilling to abandon or do without a cheerful, joyous, prompt-to-do-it giver whose heart is in his giving. Now, that is the mark that we're all going for because that's who God loves. And the word loves there doesn't mean that he doesn't love people that aren't happy. It just means that he rejoices or he's, he's able to do more with his children that are excited about giving because giving generously is faith. So, of course, he's able to do more. Let's just translate that word cheerful. It, uh, it means generous, but it also means faith. When you give, you're either drunk or a fool if you give without purpose or uh, 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 being happy about it. So we have to, we give with purpose. And God can do something with a person that gives with purpose. If you have a goal, he can help you meet your goal. He'll supply all your need. It's powerful. So I wrote this down. God is not excited. Doesn't mean he's not happy. It just means he's not excited. That'd be my word, my assessment. He is not excited with mere obedience. Uh, there's a scripture in uh, Jeremiah 1, I think verse 12. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. So some people are willing, but they don't follow through. And some people just go by and throw their money in and they're kind of chapped because that was a boat payment or that was a whatever. So we have to be willing in obedience. God is not excited with mere obedience until it's generous. Then it's not mere obedience. It's joyful, cheerful, prompt to do it obedience. So giving's not the only thing that uh, generous applies to, but it's easy to understand, so we will. Turn with me to Acts chapter 20, if you would. Acts chapter 20. I'm only turning you there. It's a very short verse, but I want you to mark it in your Bible if you don't have it. Mark it in your Bible. Be a Bible marker. I can hardly tell you how many times I go back in my Bible and see things that I wrote down. I'll, I'll have a verse underlined or circled, somebody who said it and the date on it. And it was to me. It was something or to the church, but it just, and, and new life just came up. I remembered it's almost prophetic when the, you get a scripture and then other things, I have notes that come out of them and it just helps me a lot. But in chapter 20 of Acts, verse 35, uh, uh, the physician Luke said, uh, 
I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to supply the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus. What were those words, Luke? How he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Can we say that together? It is more blessed to give than receive. Now that, that's a short verse. And sometimes it's hard to understand that verse, what it means. But I think we're going to get a little help on it tonight and interpretation on it. The word uh, give, what does that mean? It's just used so many ways. But the word literally, if I looked it up in the Greek, and it means to bestow. So it's more blessed to bestow. That's different than give. Bestow is, is a, a, an, uh, an act. It's an action that says, I am giving to you this or something around that it means to commit it's more blessed to commit yay so that would be purposeful giving the third word a fourth word third word means to bring forth it's more blessed to bring forth so it's an act of taking out of ourselves and bringing it forth demonstrating it exhibiting it making a deal about it. It's more blessed to bestow. And then the last thing is to minister. It's more blessed to minister than to receive. I told y'all last week that the most fun you'll ever have is ministering. Ministering to people is the most fun you'll ever have. If, yeah, it is. It's just helping people is the fulfillment of your life. And once you hook into that in any way, you'll be hooked. The word receive is like that. It's, it's stronger than just our word receive. It means to have. It's more blessed to give than to have. It's, uh, it means to hold. It's more blessed to give than to hold. Now that puts a little glint on it, a little light. More blessed to give than to hold on versus receive. Just hold on. But it's better to give what you have than to hold on what you have. Now these are shades of meeting in the, you know, the translators in the in the King James, they just took the Greek and just did the best they could with it. But there were several words that would fit into every uh, definition here. They could have chosen a different word. They could have chosen any of these. It's more blessed to give than to obtain. So that's another word, to obtain. That's a little different than just receive. The Amplified says, now here it is, it is more blessed, and this is the part I like, makes one happier and more to be envied it is more blessed, makes one happier and more to be envied to give than to receive. It's kind of a strange one, but I like the makes, makes us happier. Makes us happier to give than to receive. And then the passion. There's a lot of passion in my lessons lately, I, I tell you. Uh, passion says giving brings a far greater blessing than receiving. That's pretty plain spoken, isn't it? So the truth is, if we just take what we did Sunday and take this, you can see that generosity empowers, empowers every part of your life. You, you can't go far. You think, well, what's the weak link here? What, why is, aren't things happening for me? I'm in faith here. I'm speaking to the mountain there. I'm praying about this. And, you know, I've just I got a prophetic word about it and this, that, but nothing's happening. Sometimes it's something as simple as needing a heart transplant in that we should turn generous. We're holding on. Things like we've been in through, like this pandemic, it reveals people's hearts, what's really in. Fear has really become evident in a lot of people because they are, they are petrified. They are just paralyzed uh, because 
somebody didn't wear a mask or somebody got too close, you know, just, well, just go to Lowe's. That'll leave all your fears right there. <laughs> There's a thousand people in there and, and, and it'll fit 1100. So <laughs> uh, you won't have any problems with what one person's doing if you go to Lowe's because they're all doing it. Yay. Uh, so generosity empowers everything you want in your life. So if you want something, if you need something, if you're supposed to fulfill something, get generous. Start emptying out things. Start finding someone that uh, needs or, or not even needs that you just give. I don't like it when people only give to the poor. They assume uh, that the poor are the only ones that have needs. But I've had needs before that were quite... Uh, we ran out of groceries one time in our church in West Texas. Ran out of groceries. We didn't tell anybody, and we weren't poor. We drove up and had on nice clothes and yeah, everything that we always did. But we didn't have any groceries. But when we came out of that Sunday service, our car was filled. The boys couldn't hardly get in the back seat. Our car was filled with groceries. And we had not told anybody. Uh, it was quite amazing. So you can't just wait and say, well, I'll find me some poor people or some destitute people. Well, take care of them but they're not the only ones. Sometimes you've got to give to someone that's driving a Cadillac. And you go, well, how could that work? <laughs> you can run out of money and still have a Cadillac and just, uh, you know how it is. Uh, the Passion Version, let's go back to 2 Corinthians. In the Passion Version of uh, chapter 9, here we go, chapter 9, verse 8, uh, King James says, God is able to make all grace abound towards you. This is powerful. All grace fixes everything. You hadn't got a trouble. You hadn't got a need. You hadn't got an empty spot where there's all grace. Grace just takes care of you. And he, the Bible says, God is able to make all grace. Well, if he's able, does it mean he's unwilling? Well, there's some conditions that have to be met. He's able He's able to save the whole world. Jesus paid the price, but there's some conditions. You've got to make Jesus Lord. God is able to make all grace abound towards you that ye having all sufficiency in all things, he's describing all grace, may abound to every good work. So what does all grace mean? All, all sufficiency in all things abounding to every good work. Let's just think about that a second. That would be out of the realm of our uh, rationale. We don't know anybody that's ever had that. I, I mean, I don't know anybody that's been with somebody that had all sufficiency in all things. They abounded. I'm sure there's some sultans and some sheiks and some, you know, some Bill Gates types people that could, but rarely do a lot of those people do it. The passion says, yes, God is more than ready to overwhelm you from ev with every form of grace I like that, every form of grace, so that you will have more than enough of everything, every moment and in every way. He will make you overflow with abundance in every good thing you do. And that's who we are. That's not a fairy tale or happily ever after. That is who we are. And so if you think you are where you are, where he's made you, and this is not all sufficiency in all things abounding to every good work, then there's still a path to walk and a door to open. All sufficiency in all things. It doesn't mean you're rich necessarily, but for your calling, your place, the, the, the uh, anointing that's on your life, every need's met before you get there. It might be terrible two days out, but when you get there, you know, like John G. Lake 
took his whole family to the edge of uh, America to get on a boat to Africa and had no money. And someone stepped up as they were in line, as they were in line to get on the boat and give their ticket and stepped up and gave him the full, I forget how much it was, but it was a wad of money for all of his family. And so that, that's all sufficiency in all things. Ruth Ward Heflin, uh, her story is amazing. She, the Lord told her to go to Switzerland. I believe it was Switzerland. And so she loaded up and she didn't, she didn't have any cash. It's, it's not always the faith people that have all the money. Sometimes they just have the door to the money. And so she went to the airport and she was going to the ticket counter with no money. And a man stepped up to her and said, are you Mrs. Miss Ward? I am, or Heflin. And he said, well, the Lord told me to give you this and gave her the exact mouth for the fair. She went over there and met the king and had an audience with him and had all sorts of signs and wonders happen in the palace while she was there. So all sufficiency in all things might not just mean you've got it stacked up. Because some of the richest people do not have anything. Yay. Amen. If you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. I was going to just scoot through this this evening, but my scooter didn't work out too good. <laughs> oh, help me, Lord. That there's another day or there's a rapture, one of the two. And we, we don't really care which one it is. Chapter 25, verse 14. We, we know this chapter well, this verse well. It says, for, for the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Now, you know, that's, that's a picture right here of Jesus. He came to us, he bestowed upon us, and then he, he went to heaven. Yea, then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them five other talents. Let's go down to verse 19. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh. Do y'all know the Lord of the servants is coming? He's coming. He's coming. Jesus is coming. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. And his Lord said unto him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been master, uh, servant, uh, thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee master over many things. So here we see stewardship. And it's that way. The kingdom is stewardship. We don't have anything of our own, but we have stewardship over all of his. And he calls it ours, but we got it from him. So the whole kingdom, everything in the kingdom is stewardship and promotion. Not good looks, not working a deal, not promising to do better. Stewardship, faithful over little, promotion, master over something, depending on how faithful you were. And the other two servants, you know, got their just rewards. Uh, but it all points to this. And I just want you to realize this. It, sometimes we don't think about it. Money is the kindergarten of the kingdom. Everything starts in kindergarten. And you know, that's where we all learned our best rules, put things back where they were. And 
say thank you and please and all that. Uh, God will not entrust anything in the kingdom until we deal faithfully with money. Now, I cannot, there's no doom and gloom in this. It's just the truth. And if you think it's not the truth, just live your life without this and see how it turns out. Because kindergarten is money, money management, money stewardship. So when you treat his money as if it was your own or better, then he says, let's go up higher. And there's a new level, and then he takes you up higher. And then he takes you up higher. Promotion follows stewardship. And everyone in here that's done anything for God has got a just and right promotion. You are where you are because at some point or beyond, you were faithful over money. So people that do not, that hoard their money, they don't realize that they are locked into kindergarten, maybe pre-K. <laughs> There's no, they're not growing. They're not progressing. They can get no victory. When trouble comes, they fall apart. Why is that? You go, it must be a spiritual principle or spiritual warfare or learning how to intercede or something like, no, it's just because you didn't grow because you wouldn't do with his what he called you to do. And that's the, that's the truth. Luke chapter 16. You got that? Money is the kindergarten of the kingdom. You go, well, money's carnal. God don't care about money, but we do. And so he uses it in our lives because we do to see how we will submit something that we care about to his authority, to his lordship, to his uh, calling on our lives. And uh, uh, if, if, if you can't let go of something carnal like money and submit him and trust him for that money, which is carnal, he can send you a gazillion dollars every day, he's got the means, well, then he's not going to put you in a spiritual position. Um, I have a scripture for that. Here it is. 1 Corinthians 15, 46. Don't turn there, but listen to what it says. Howbeit that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural. Let me read that again. Howbeit that was not first which is spiritual, but which is natural, and afterward, that which is spiritual. 1 Corinthians 15, 46. So that means God tries us, or you hate to say test, because that's not right, proves us, qualifies us in things that are natural, and from there, he positions us spiritual. So you don't see anybody that's like Kenneth Copeland or Brother Hagen or, or anybody, anybody that you can think of that's done well in the ministry, none of them got there without passing major money tests. They don't advertise them. They don't talk about it because it's just a part of life. But they all pass major money tests or they wouldn't be there. They cannot be there. And you will not be there. I will not be there unless I continue to qualify in these simple money tests. And the way to make sure you're way over there beyond the line is to decide to be generous. Instead of, well, okay, you know how people are. Well, Where's the line to get saved? How much do I have to do? How much do I have to give up to get saved? Well, you know, they're not generous with their life. They're just giving enough to get in. Same thing with money. If you just give, you know, you made, uh, made uh, $1,232.59 and you, you see someone that ties it out to the penny, <laughs> that might not be generous. 
I mean, it's true. It's, it's the letter of the law, and you did tithe, and you did bring it in, but generous just rounds it up. And everybody in here rounds it up a bunch because we just are generous. We're just generous. We just like, certainly not going to put any sense in there. I'm not condemning. I'm just saying it's funny how people tip God. Tip God. Very good service. We're going to tip you. And saying, you delivered me out of hell. <laughs> we give you all. <laughs> Amen. Um, where was I? Luke 16, is that it? 10? He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. Now, I want to tell you, this is a very powerful principle. And if you can, if you can embrace this principle that I just read, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And here's the second part. And he that is unjust in the least, the little things is unjust also in much. We look over little things and say, ah, it's just an oversight or, well, he forgot or, you know, he got mixed up and maybe that's in it a time or two. But you can tell what someone is going to be out in the future by how they do over little things. You do not have to give them $10,000 to figure out if they're honest. Give them $100 and you'll know everything. And you go, well, can they change? Well, when they change, we'll all know it. We'll, we'll, they'll be faithful over that which is least. So uh, Bill Winston, Pastor Bill Winston, tells a story of going, uh, returning his car to the car lot or in a car. And uh, he's putting gas in it because you have to fill it up before you take it back. And he opens the little door and it says, super unleaded only. I've told you all this before. And he looks around. No one looking that way. No one looking that way. It's just him and God, and the car company doesn't care, not really, but it says, put super unleaded in it. So he could save $4. Faithful over that which is little. And so nobody looking, nobody would ever know. It is totally anonymous. He takes that handle off the pump that says super premium unleaded and puts it in there, not for the company, not even for God, but for himself. And so people think, well, nobody cares. It's okay if nobody knows or nobody cares. Well, that's not what the word says, and it's very powerful. If therefore you have not been faithful in the unrighteous riches, money, who will, who will commit to your trust the true riches? Let's go to verse, and if you've not been faithful in that which is another man's, so this would speak to employees at least, who shall give you that which is your own? This affects all of us. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Let me read this to you in the Passion. It says, the one who manages the little, he has been given with faithfulness, and integrity will be promoted and trusted with greater responsibilities. But those who cheat with the little that they have been given will not be considered trustworthy of more. Wow. If you have not handled the riches of this world with integrity, why should you be trusted with the eternal treasures of the spiritual world? One master will be despised and the other will have your loyal devotion. It is no different with God and the wealth of this world. 
you must, now here it is, you must enthusiastically love one and definitely reject the other. Now, that's pretty plain spoken. That's in the red letter stuff that's there. And this speaks to us being generous. Generous over just the little things. I love the South. One reason I love it is because it's a, it's a mandate in the South that you never just put out enough food for everybody that's coming to a supper. Now, I understand in the North, and I hope they don't get mad at me. Maybe it's not that way anymore. But I've heard many, many stories where if there's four people coming, there's four pork chops, and there's four servings of mashed potatoes, and there's four green beans, and there's four buns, and there's four. But in the South, there's 12 of everything. And they're big pork chops. <laughs> and the butter is already in the potatoes. <laughs> Oh, Lord, help us. And there's a huge cobbler in the oven just waiting for us. So uh, that's generous. And so that's a cultural generosity. You wouldn't think about just doing what they do in the north, in the south. You just wouldn't do it if you'd been here any time at all. Well, that's a cultural generosity. And one reason that it is is because certain sections of the nation are more godless than others. And you say, well, do they not go to church? I said godless. I didn't say they weren't religious. You in the South, now we're not, we're not tooting our horn because we got lots of challenges, lots of challenges. And I'm not, so I'm not saying we're better or anything, but I will say there's a generosity in the South because people uh, are more free at church. It seems like in the, in the mainline churches up North or in other areas, the Northwest and all that. Um, so... If you took all the money in the world and you divided it up equally, everybody got $20,000. It is proven that if in five years, five years of normal times, divided everything up the same, took the billions off the billionaire and gave it to the man under the bridge, in five years, the rich would be rich again. How many of y'all believe that? Just knowing human nature, the rich would be rich again. And the middle class would be middle class again. And guess what? The poor would be poor again. So it's not a, even in our government now, it's not a uh, distribution problem that certain people don't have it. If we paid for everybody to go to college, and I don't mean to wade in on this, but I'm just talking about human nature. Some people don't want to go to college, but it'd be a good break from being under the bridge or something. I'm not certainly stereotyping everyone, but I'm just saying you can't put everything on everybody. And uh, rich people would be rich again and the poor people would be poor again because it would be what's in their heart. If the rich man is generous or uh, at some point of that. And the proof of this is that they've proven, they've documented that uh, people that win vast sums of money in a lottery or an inheritance, that in five years, generally, they're in debt again. You go, what's that all about? You had all that money. Well, they didn't have a capacity for it in their spirit. They, they didn't know what to do with it, and they'd never been generous, so they didn't know how to be generous. Let me read one more scripture, and we'll go right here. Uh, Luke 6.38. You're right there in Luke. Let's just slip back to Luke 6. We looked at this Sunday, and it, it's just powerful. I've never noticed it was powerful. It was just read flippantly and during offerings and that sort of thing. But it's really more than that. Give and it shall be given to you. So we talked about action and reaction. Give and it shall be given. 
how shall it be given back to you? Well, what you gave, it's given back to you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over. So more comes than what you gave. And men shall give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured unto you. Let me read it in the Passion. Give generously. I just love this. I've just fell in love with this verse. Give generously and generous gifts will be given to you. Shaken down to make room for more. Abundant gifts will pour out upon you with such overflowing measure, they will run over the top. Don't you love this passion? Your measurement of generosity becomes the measure of your return. We're talking about generous. The measure. It's not up to God. Why doesn't God bless me like he blesses you? Well, there's, there's a... It's not luck. It's not happenstance. It's not your upbringing. We have lots of testimonies of people that, and, uh, men and women, that grew up. They raised their family from 12 years old up because their mom and dad were gone or something. Just terrible things, and they're millionaires, and they're successful. And then we have people that were rich that uh, they blew up their family. Seemed like there was a black sheep in every rich family or famous family that they blow it up. So we ought to have two professions. I am going to quit with this. Two professions in your life. Two things that you get up every day and you go, okay, today's got two things going in it. My first passion is to work for money. Don't y'all go to work for money? Y'all aren't in love with anybody that much, are you? Oh, come on. We, we go to work for money. And you go to work for money. Why? Not to make a living, but to fund your storehouse. Making... Going to work for money is to give you seed to sow. That's your first job. I need seed to sow. So I will, I will lay down my life in one dimension. I will work eight hours for the boss and pick up my life in another dimension. He will give me $100. I lay it down this way and I pick it up that way. I exchange my life, my time, my energy, my expertise, uh, my, my emotions, everything, I exchange it for something, and then I go out and exchange that money for groceries and gasoline and rent. The second profession that you and I have, first of all, is to work your money. Work, excuse me, work for money. The second one is to work your storehouse. Because you put money in your storehouse, work your storehouse to fund your generosity. So we go to work not to get seed to sow. I mean, not to fund our generosity because all we can do if we go to work and make $100 a day or, or whatever, $10,000 a day, we go to do that if we, if we use that only to fund our generosity, we're never going to have much to be generous with because there's so much pulling on us. But if we put it in our storehouse, we set it back. Tithe, offerings, we set it back. Put some where there's a little spot in your billfold or in the back of your purse that you put down. Uh, Jesse Duplantis always called it a she money. It's money she didn't know about. <laughs> but you put money back there and then you work your storehouse. God, I, like we said uh, Sunday, I got two quarters. It's all I got. Show me who needs two quarters or one quarter. I'm looking. I'm looking. It doesn't take a lot to get generous because then your two quarters will turn into two dollars and on and on and on. So generous. 
That's what the Lord is demanding of us. And the reason he is is because we are sons and daughters. He put generous in us. So the only reason it doesn't come out naturally is because we've got some fear or some impediment, some obstacle in our thinking that keeps us from being generous to you. We said it the other day, get all you can, can all you get, sit on the can. That's a, uh, that's a, I got it and I'm not giving it up. Generous. River Church is a generous church. We are generous. Not just the whole corporate thing, but all of us individually, we are generous. And promotion follows generosity. Everything follows generosity. Health follows generosity. Soul winning follows generosity. Once you get into generosity, you want to go share the good news with somebody. Uh, it's not even hard, but we've got to get that in us. Otherwise, it's just compulsion and trying to do it. Amen. Amen. I could have gone till 10 o'clock. I promise you, I am so full of this message. I'm so excited about it. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us here at River Church. We will be back online. At, when will we be back online? Sunday, 1030? 1030 sounds good. Show up at 1030 and we'll, we'll be close if we're not there. Amen. <laughs>